as I kind of progressed through my career, I was caring more and more about what people were saying, what they meant, what was important to them, what were they actually trying to communicate and cared less and less about typefaces and paper and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I made a pivot. I thought it was going to be a little pivot. It was a complete reboot. Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Hook with Sarah Larson, a podcast that is curious about the meaning of disruption and how it affects our personal lives, our careers, and the people around us. I'm your host, Sarah Larson, a business coach and serial entrepreneur, but also someone with a thirst for conversation. Being an entrepreneur can be a bit lonely, especially when faced with the inevitable challenges that come with the title. This is an opportunity to feel as if you're part of the conversation and leave knowing you are not alone because others have faced similar challenges and you can learn from their mistakes and successes. I hope you'll find as much inspiration from my guests as I have. Grab your favorite beverage and let's begin. Hello, everybody. I have a fantastic guest today that I'm really excited to introduce. This is Bryn Bruner with MindSpark Branding, and she is going to tell us a little bit about what she does. Hi, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here with you. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. So tell us just a little bit about what you do with MindSpark Branding. So I, I do fit under that kind of branding umbrella, but it's different than most people think about branding, which is often colors and typefaces and websites and logos. I can do all that stuff. But what I'm really interested in is I think of it as branding from the inside out. And the, the, the palette that I play with is language. So I help people with their message, but on other levels, I help people find the words that they need to actually connect with and resonate with their clients. Because I find that most of us speak from our perspective, kind of because we have to, right? But we don't really connect on a marketing level, like marketing doesn't really stick until, and you've probably heard of this, till we enter the conversation that's in somebody else's head. So I'm, um, I'm a weird language geek and I just love what I do. I love what you do too. I really started getting to know you through one of your freebies and i could tell the language is just really magical the language on your website your email signatures i could tell that you were a word smith thank you and that's of course like you know the cobbler's kids like doing my own is like <laughs> eye rolly right um you know it's funny and you asked me earlier but I work with a kind of unique slice of people, both entrepreneurs and folks in corporate. They do, they do work that's hard to describe. Uh, they get stuck up in their head thinking, oh my God, what do I say about this? And, and we do a few things. We sort of, we first sort of simplify it into its most banal form. Like I'm a, you know, who was talking to you yesterday. I'm an executive coach and there's, and you know, there's more to it. Right. And then as I talk to her, it's like, oh, you're not really an executive coach. And I know it's just like a, a convenient handle. So people have a, a hope of understanding. And then the other people, it's like, hey, what do you do? <laughs> kind of our barfing words all over people. Hope, hope, hope something sticks. And it's because you're so excited about it. So. Oh, that's amazing. 
but so true. I also have that same thing. I introduce myself as I call myself a business coach, but there's so much more to it than that. Mm -hmm. Diving into what that means specifically for my clients is a challenge for me. So, yeah, I I feel for us humans because language is, you know, without being able to hug somebody or, you know, or, or if that's even appropriate language is the best thing that we've got right besides body language and energy language is our best tool and yet we give ourselves so much grief about it like we're up in our head and just looking at somebody who says i have this southern accent i hate it it gets in the way and it's like oh but it's you right it is well i would like to start with sort of some background tell me where you grew up what was what was growing up like, like family? I grew up in the East Bay area back when it was a lot of open hills covered with grass um, and foxtails and poison oak. And I was one of five kids and we spent all our time outside doing crazy things on go-karts and climbing trees and swinging rope swings. And, and our family also took a lot of road trips Um, but they were sort of low key road trips. We'd go up to Tahoe or we'd go out to the beach and we'd have a lot of low key adventures. I have many memories of being in the way back of the station wagon. There was the, you know, where my parents sat and then the the back seat and then the little seat in the middle, that's where my twin sisters sat. Um, no seatbelts. And then the way back and the way back faced the cars behind you. Uh, I remember just like on lots of trips, it's funny with this language thing, making up games for myself. Like I remember trying to make up games, like what are all the different color names I could make up, you know, in the crayon box when they have like blue green and that like, I'd make up my own color names. And like, I just remember seeing fields go by and just making up names for colors. I liked, I like that for some reason. So, um, my growing up was fun and mostly outside and often internal. I was a huge reader. So language was a mm, sort of a centering force for me, thoughts, thinking. I was probably more of a odd duck than anything. I wasn't one of the cool kids. um, And I gave myself so much grief about that for so many decades until I just realized that's just we're all different, right? Everybody. Yeah. And it's funny because one of the one of the speeches I talk about is like, are you weird or is that how you're wired? I think it's really interesting how people's minds work. And if we could just kind of align the way that we think and what we're interested in and the thing that we actually do, like, wouldn't that be a great assessment for kids going into college? Like, not just what are you going to do when you grow up, but like, what kinds of things are you uniquely mm, gifted with noticing, right? Yes. Like you're, a, you're a pattern number analysis person. Oh, you're a connecting disparate. I just love thinking about that stuff. Well, I loved the connection that you just said, the language twist that you did here with weird. Are you weird or are you just wired that way? Yeah. That's, that was true. I was always... I was definitely weird and I still am. I was a weird kid. I didn't fit into the social norms Um, that, you know, we've talked about that. Maybe that was the gay thing coming out. Um, And I think I loved how I was, 
I just was really aware that other people like it didn't fit. Like yeah. left to my own devices, I was a happy girl. I was a happy girl. Yeah. It was in contrast to what other people, how I was supposed to be, that things got a little bit scritchy. Okay. Well, I think that's a challenge for many. We have, For all of us. Yeah. Yeah. We have this thing of how we're supposed to be, right? When we aren't fitting into that mold, it causes some friction. And don't, don't you sort of think like, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age um, that we spend so much time wishing we weren't the way that we were. Uh-huh. Being that way instead of like going oof i'm that way <laughs> right not necessarily um here's what i do for a living or here's how much money i'm making or here's a relationship but like oof like squeeze all the marrow out i'm that way yes you know that's really interesting and this is sort of a tangent but i know you're into human design as am i mm. and one of the things that I, I know just barely to, enough to be dangerous on that, but it's right, so right. one of the things that I was trying to describe to somebody recently, and it was something that I felt like was a bad thing about me until I discovered human design yeah. is that I don't always finish things. And I jump, I'm a manifesting generator, which means I skip around and I like a lot of different things. And um, I like to investigate a lot of different things. Yeah, the one thing I know about people, you guys, you many gens, as somebody says, you skip steps. Yes, we skip steps and we jump around. And so somebody was just telling me yesterday, you know, you need to, what if you needed to, what if you just focus on one thing? And I went, yeah, that's really not how I'm built. And I am so glad that I finally figured that out. So that's what I get excited about human design too. It's like, oh, this is how I'm built. Like I'm designed perfectly for things that I'm good at. I don't, you just think that would give the world so much more grace if yes. we knew, oh, you are built perfectly for why you're here. Yes, that's the key. Because we are all b- built perfectly for why we're here. Yeah. We yeah. just don't know it. <laughs> Most people aren't aware of it. And so right, we're right, all right, right. trying to fit into what somebody else has said is the way we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. So you talk a lot about disruption. And lately I've been thinking of, Sorry, you didn't ask this, but no, hey. go for it. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about autism, and there was there's a woman named Sorry, I'm going to blank out on her name. She okay. did a great podcast with Glennon Doyle. She's an Australian comic, um, and she she was on the autism spectrum, and I suddenly saw it not like this, but like a field, like space as a as a field with kind of bumps and valleys, almost topography, and there her, the way that her mind is work is there and all these other things come into play. And it's like the neurodivergence conversation is super interesting to me. Yeah. Um, just because if we're thinking of it as disruption, it, like that's just how she was wired. It was disruptive if it, if it collided with somebody else's expectation. Right. So I begin to think, wow, the expectations we hold of ourselves or of other people, mm-hmm. That's where we get into trouble. We think it it's is. normal to have expectations, but it's like, yeah. But we need to meet people where they are and uh-huh. not where we expect them to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, snap, snap here. Join me where I think you ought to be. Right. So, 
right. you know, parents will realize that's one of our biggest lessons. Oh, that was my plan, not his. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm loving this conversation already. What happened like after, after high school, like what's, mm. what was your trajectory from So there? that's, I was not a, I didn't belong in my, where I grew up. Um, I think I didn't belong in a lot of different ways. And like I said, like, I thought that was something wrong with me. So after high school, I went to Denmark and lived there for a year. I was a foreign exchange student. And it's because I like hung out with some of the other exchange students who came to our town and, you know, in the, in the East Bay of, of California, um, near the San Francisco Bay. I remember having friends from France and Thailand and, uh, a Swiss guy, a Swedish person. And I met somebody, a Native American who had been to Denmark. I was like, sign me up. So I went to Denmark for a year. Um, there's a language, there's a language tie-in. It was a hard year. And that was over 45 years ago. And it's, it's sunk roots into every aspect of my life that year. Really? Yeah. In, in uh, what way? to be connected to this family, okay. to be like, it's informed all my cells in a way. Now I know that what happens in one language, like I learned Spanish sort of like it's high school kid, right? Yeah. Um, to know that language, how we say things and what, what the words are actually is kind of a, in a spatial reference to life. It, the words that we have access to inform how we think. They've done all these studies on, I just read one that said some language and he called them futured or unfutured language. And I can, I don't really know what that means, but I can only guess an unfutured language of which Danish is one and English is not. And it was like, there was no future tense. And it, oh. so I'm not saying this very well, but okay. it affected how people see time and space. Like some languages see future there, like we do. And some see it there because they can't see it. You know how people read left to right or right to left? Mm -hmm. Like all of those things affect how we see the world. There are words in Danish that we don't have in English. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are kind of dialed into this word, hygge, H-Y-G-G-E. And it's like, it was, it's a feeling that they have. So that was my first immersion in otherness. And then the way that you can crawl inside otherness to find pieces of yourself. I didn't know that about about different languages. Not some. No, me neither. Like a future tense and how that would affect. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a that's, a that's an undeveloped thought in my mind. Okay. But one that I have often thought of, and people that are listening to this, if you have another language or you are of another language, I'd love to hear what you think. But Danish is a smaller language than English, so. For example, and there's probably going to be Danes listening to this are going to tell me that I'm full of it. I remember <laughs> like the word for fast, like in English, we have all these different varieties, fast, speedy, rapid, quickly, Danish. And I learned 18-year-old Danish, right? Yeah. It's one word, hurtig. And so I wanted greater expression. I wanted a bigger palette of words mm -hmm. and I would get frustrated. <laughs> and also that we have phrases that we say, see you later. Oh, hi, honey. Like the things we say when we greet and sleep well, mm -hmm. it has very clear patterns. I always felt 
hemmed in. It's funny. Like that's interesting. I wanted to like scrabble out the top of this language and use a lot more words. So Wow, you'd have to create new words for them, I think. Yeah, yeah. So when we're talking to each other, like a, a service provider and customer or client, I'm so aware of language as our greatest asset and mm, kind of the weak link too. Because if we don't hear people, we can't meet them where they are. Right. Yes. And I had an example of this just the other day. I was talking with a friend, a close friend, somebody that I feel like knows me pretty well and should completely understand everything I'm saying, right? But we were looking at a flat surface. She was looking from one angle. I was looking from another. And mm -hmm. I was referring to top and bottom. And I meant the top and bottom of the, of the layers. Something was on top like, of something else. Yeah. It's like this. She was going from the edge bottom. to this edge, right? She was looking at the top and bottom of the page from her angle and couldn't understand why I was saying what I was saying made no sense to her until mm -hmm. I finally went, we're not talking about the same thing, even right. though we're using the same words. So you had to have that awareness of, wait, hold on. So in that language article that I just read, it was from the BBC. Okay. They were also talking about like space and time, future, past. They were talking about how some languages, they, the, a directional has an object to it. And I, he talked about German. I don't speak German. Like, we're going to go across this field. And in English, we'd say, so we go diagonally over there. And the German speaker was like, was a little bit lost because in that language structure, the object was like, for example, towards that church. And without that, they were adrift a little bit. So I feel like God, humans, we try so hard, right? But I feel like we run aground when we're trying to communicate with each other and cast adrift a little bit, just like you noticed. And I feel like that noticing is is our privilege when we serve mm -hmm. other people to yeah. notice what they need to notice, oh, it's not lining up what I think. Instead of like saying, think like me, but say, wait a minute, what? Yes, think like me. And maybe I wouldn't have been as, I mean, I was very impatient. So I'm like, I've said this like three times. I don't know how to say it differently, but this is a dear friend of mine. So of course I'm trying to figure out why- You gave a little bit more leeway there. I gave a little more leeway and finally it clicked. Oh, that's what she's seeing and what she's hearing is different than what I'm seeing and what I'm saying. So it was funny, yeah. Sarah. I think that one of the examples that um, I'm dating myself again, that we're most familiar with is Pictionary. Yeah. And so there are people that play Pictionary and they like draw something and then they go, and they as people are guessing, <laughs> they're stabbing it yes. and going instead of, okay, they're not getting what I'm doing. Maybe mm -hmm. I'll try a different thing. Right. So it's like our thinking too. It's like, okay, you're not getting it. I'm not going to like, uh, like by applying brute force, that's not going to help you understand. It's going to amp up the frustration for you. So it's like, okay, okay, okay. What's another way? Get back and this. kind of recalibrate how I want to try. So I don't know. That's interesting. Okay. Well, what happened after Denmark? Oh, uh, huh. oh, we had a line of thought. <laughs> we did. We had a whole, we had a whole different trajectory, which I loved. So uh, after, um, 
I came back from Europe. I went to school in Southern California, to Santa Barbara for a year, um, and then moved back up to Berkeley. I went to Berkeley for four years, and um, that was an extraordinary experience for me for all sorts of reasons. I was a rower. I joined the the crew team, and that was another thing that has informed every cell in my body, because I'm still, and always will be, a team person. Mm-hmm. Rowing is a unique sport in that you are you are the sum of the total, not a series of stars doing their thing. I remember in high school and college, I was always doodling. Like I was a doodling. What I was often doodling was letters. Like I remember doodling Maharaja, which is the logo for a water ski. I don't know if they make those anymore. Um, and I, I met a family friend and went and saw her and she was a graphic designer. And I thought, what? So I'm making t-shirts for the crew team. I'm like t-shirts, big deal. Like all these messages and, you know, early hashtags. Uh, yeah. Looked at her. I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like this is a career. Like what I do for fun, that's a job. So I went back to art school and I don't think I ever finished. I think I ran out of money, but the the things that I always loved and paid attention to, like, I really loved that for a long time. So I was a, you know, graphic artist for, you know, 30 years working for um, different companies or working at like working as an independent, helping schools, did a lot of schools. I did a lot of nonprofits. And then along the way, like 10 years ago, I realized I went to a conference in New York. So fast forward lots of time, right? Lots of Mm -hmm. things. And in this conference was a woman talking about branding. And I thought, hmm. And I went and sat in the front of her little breakout. And there's the people that like most people like go in the back. I'm not that kind of person. I'm like in the front going, anybody have a question? It's like, well, how many do we get? And she was talking about this and I realized in her conversation, this is what I'd been doing for years without ever having an idea about it. So just like at the beginning, I was making all these t-shirts and designing things without realizing that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of progressed through my career, I was caring more and more about what people were saying, what they meant, what was important to them, what were they actually trying to communicate and cared less and less about typefaces and paper and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I made a pivot. I thought it was going to be a little pivot. It was a complete reboot. So that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. And as time goes by, all the things that we've been talking about, they get distilled into all the same thing. And I feel like what it is, is a quality of caring for the people that we're connecting with. And if that's in business or, you know, like I, I do that TED talk thing on the side, yeah. if it's, if it's how to, it's the quality of caring and attuning to the people that we're trying to create a bridge with. That's what I care about. I love that. Yeah. Oh, so you mentioned the Ted talk thing and that was one of the things that brought me to meet you. You want to talk about that at all? Yeah. I love talking about Ted. Well, here I am. My favorite thing is working with people. And if I've said this, that do weird, cool, and exciting stuff. And that's that's Ted. And I don't know how old you are when you discovered Ted, but it was like, what? You know, for me, it was like, what? People are talking about ideas? I was, that was like a magic carpet for me. Let's go. So when I moved to Reno, um, I 
became involved with the local TED group here. And first I was on the speaker team, just kind of checking it out. I'm kind of bossy. So like when it was time for feedback, and this is what I do. Like, what are you saying? What are you not saying? What are you saying that's extra? And maybe this piece needs to move in front of that piece. So I have a chance of coming along with you. So I've done that for over five years. Um, and it's extraordinary work. TED is all volunteer based. And I've served a number of different roles. I, I was the backstage crew chief for a couple different events where you have to wear one of those big things on your head and tell yeah. people where to go. And I, and I like that. But what I really like is working on the speaker selection team where we're helping people hone their communication. And so what I'm doing now is in, in all those years, people would say, I want to do a TED Talk, right? It's a big deal. It used to be that having a New York Times bestseller was your was your lock on for credibility, but now it's a TED talk. But here's the deal: not every talk, not every speech is a TED talk, not by a long shot. So, out of the gate, a lot of people get eliminated, and I'll I'll tell you the the number one thing that gets eliminated: my story. Mm -hmm. Here's my story. This thing happened and this thing I had to overcome and then this happened and then here I am. Like that's, that's a great talk. But it's not a TED talk. Yeah. Because a TED talk has to be inspired by or supported by or germinating from a big idea, an idea worth spreading. So what I'm doing now is I'm, I've got a, a, a group course um, that'll be kicking off in the end of January to help people formulate that big idea, to make sure that it's strong enough. Like they want to go to Ted, they can, but really it's to clarify and make more precise and concise your communications on any, on any level with your business or your organization, or if you want to do a speech, all of that stuff, you have to be able to strip out. It's funny, Sarah, I was thinking this morning, maybe I should make a course for people who tend to go on and on too much probably like I'm doing right now, or with, they have a question like, do you want to meet next week? And all the things they've got to do that go all around. And then finally like, well, I mean, do you want to meet? Well, yeah, but they have to say all the things first. Like there are people <laughs> that are saying a whole lot. So I'm, my mind is creating a thing called pause to help them hold on, discern, strip down, wait, make sure other people can join you. It's just a funny dance we do with communication. And I'm just besotted with it. <laughs> I love that. I mean, yeah. I, I can't think of anything more exciting than somebody who is passionate about their work. So. Right. And passionate about what they're thinking of and passionate about what they're going to bring to the world. Like, I know this. The real TED ideas, it's funny. They will not let you go. So people said, have you done a TED Talk, Brent? It's like, nope. Why? Because I don't have an idea that's stuck like a burr in your sock that will not let yeah. you go. But I work with a lot of people do, and they are magnificent. They're also imperfect. And they're also many of them, not public speakers. So mm -hmm. I'm really keen on helping people advance their own thinking, no matter where they go with it. And what happens when you're really clear on what you're thinking and what you're bringing to the world, you can breathe, you can slow down, you can say less and mean more, which lets you be more present for somebody else.
Yes, absolutely. Well, I would like to revisit um, some of this disruption, this concept of disruption that we've talked about and touched on a little bit. And obviously your trip to Denmark was something of a disruption, at least mentally. Yeah, um, yeah. And what else would you say has been a disruption in your life? You know, it's funny because there's a thought that I, I like to play with and I think of it as a fulcrum moment, you know, a fulcrum, mm -hmm. like you yeah. stick a board under a rock and you can pry it out. Like what actually, or pivot, we, we hear a lot about pivots. Mm -hmm. I think of a disruption as a fulcrum moment. What, what kind of blew up in your life that created a whole new path forward and death and divorce and job loss and all those things. And I think of some of those um, disruptive moments as like two of them specifically, I've, I've always thought of that saved me. One was turning out to be a gay kid. Um, it prevented me from going down a cookie cutter path where I didn't think for myself. So being out of a mainstream forced me to really examine my own belief systems and not take anything for granted, not, it, 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 um, disconnected autopilot for me. Okay. And the second one that I feel really saved me was being a single mom. That was not the plan. You meet somebody, you fall in love, you have a baby. That was not the plan. Those were not the, the toolkit that I was, that I had access to. Right. So both of those made me be really intentional and think about it instead of, I mean, I just think that anytime we go on off autopilot and when we, you know, read about brain science and the, the plastic brain, the new things are the things that cause us to grow. So those are two big ones. Denmark was a big one. Denmark was a hard one, um, a lonely one. I was lost in somebody else's language for a long time. Yeah. Want to know what you don't get if you're learning a new language? You don't get jokes. <laughs> you don't get humor because you're trying so hard to even understand what people are saying. Yeah. And what happens is you first are able to communicate with one person. They, they brought the American kid around to a lot of teas. There's a lot of tea or coffee with cakes, okay. Danish pastry cakes. Um, the American kid plumped up pretty fast because I didn't know what they were saying. So I was, man, I came from a family of five kids. <laughs> eat the cake or else somebody else does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then when you could understand one person, it's such a relief. But then so when you're in a room of competing voices, like a dinner party, that's hard. Yeah. But I really remember, and I was about six months in when I cracked a joke and the people around me were like, oh my God, she's funny. So that's an identity thing. Like, who are you? And if you don't have the facility to have that repartee, you, they can't see that of you. That makes so much isn't that, sense. Isn't that weird? Okay, I haven't thought about that thought for about. a long time. I am um, shamefully a one language woman. I have dabbled in others, but no. Well, no shame, but it, it was a mirror for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I haven't thought about it. It's funny. I'm just, I think I'm just really feeling all the ways that we can make ourselves wrong. And separate instead of, yeah, what's this human?
And I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. It's just human. We're just human. We're human. We're doing We're all our best. We're just trying to do our best and get through every day. And care about the people we care about and do it, mm-hmm. do it like dorks, do it badly. Try yeah. again. You know, I had a conversation this morning with somebody about that whole idea of repair bids. Have you heard of John Gottman and his love lab? Yeah. Have you heard of that? The love lab, you know, and so he talks about like when things go awry, you know, successful marriages make a repair bid or any relationship, like you turn towards somebody instead of turn away. Mm-hmm. So I just think that we're wired for that. We're wired to reconnect and to blow it and reconnect and blow it and reconnect. And I think when you were talking about with your friend, the top and the bottom, yeah. those moments where we're recalibrating and going, it's not working. Yeah. Okay. Now, okay. What about this? Like the kindness of trying again and trying differently. Yeah. It's really important. And I do think that well, I know that my frustration in communicating and being a somebody whose mind works really fast mm-hmm. and getting frustrated when somebody doesn't understand me um, or doesn't catch on as quickly as me. Um, it's very frustrating for me to be in a classroom with many people that their minds aren't working as fast. And I'm going, why are you asking the same? She's already answered that question. Like, yeah. on, I'm ready to learn the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, one of my um, sisters listens to things at 1.25 because like, speed it up here. Right. Yeah, I do too. You know, what's disrupting for me, especially over this pandemic is, and if I've done any guest lecturing, is what Zoom has taught our students to do, which mm-hmm. is take the camera off or just stare. Lack of affect scares me in, in a way where I'm... I am reading like the situation and I'm reading somebody and I need your face to read. Right. I need to see what's happening. And it may be because like, I'm just feeling my eyebrows going up and down. It's like, that's how I find language. So if I can't see your face, I was doing, I was binging on old episodes of um, designated survivor and really noticing that almost none of the actors did their face. They were worried. Hmm. They were excited. Oh, and it's like, where's your face? Right. I can't tell what you're thinking. And they say that that's a sign of a, of a really good actor is somebody who you can see what's going on in their face. I think it's because we need it. Yes. The way that our minds are wired, like that's why we can talk to people who don't speak our language. It's like, no, if we care about them and I, I, I think we've talked about this for me, business is an opportunity to care about somebody. I feel like the language of business is actually love and it's a quality of tuning to somebody and caring about what they care about. Like when you say, Oh, we're really on the same wavelength. I think that's true, but I feel like it's the effort to get on the same wavelength. So you're frustrated when people don't get it fast enough. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated when I can't see what they think. Um, you know, I think we could, we all get frustrated by certain different things, and those are mini disruptions. Yes. But I feel like those mini disruptions become mini opportunities to recalibrate and recare. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Calibration is definitely something that everybody needs some practice in, I think. Well, I have an 87-year-old mom whose um, technology is hard, and mm-hmm. kind of like that 
Pictionary thing. Yeah. We tried the same thing harder. And then we're like, you're doing what I want you to do. And I learned a long time ago that in order to learn a new program or an application, I had to figure out what it wanted me to think of. Like I had to figure out what, what do you, what in your sequence of decisions or actions, what do you need me to think about? If you say I've picked up tech pretty easily, I bet you've learned that. What do you need me to be thinking? Instead of you're going to think like me, you're going to do it my way and get really frustrated. It's like, oh, I see. It wants me to do this first. So I don't think that's necessarily true that I have learned that. Or if I have, it's not been conscious. Yeah, I bet you're good at it and you don't know it. (laughs) There are a few things that I'm learning that I... And it's part of, and this is going back to human design, anybody with a line two has that innate, like they know how to do something, but can't explain to somebody else how they know that. Really? Yes. That's what a line two is? Well, it's the hermit. Oh, the profile. I think I'm a two four. That you have a way of doing things or you know how to do something that other people think is hard, but you can't explain how you know how to do it or tell Don't someone. Don't you think how to that might be a little bit of all of us? Absolutely. I, I think almost everyone I know has a line too. Yeah, I know somebody who makes this certain kind of soup and it's like, this is so good. And she's like, oh, come on, it's stupid easy. Soup, and it's like, yeah. mm, not for me. And just respecting what it comes easy to somebody else or what comes easy to you isn't always easy to somebody else. And just recognizing that. Yeah. I've always thought of myself as a pretty impatient person. Mm-hmm. You could ask my son and he'd probably agree. But I realized that <laughs> maybe I'm not so impatient after all. And I think maybe the thing that makes the click is is that caring thing. It's like, okay, hold on. What are they thinking? Right. Okay. Where'd, that, where'd we get stuck here? Mm-hmm. And so part of my human design is that, you know, wait for the wave of emotion mm-hmm. is I'm not a very good problem solver when I'm in the, the emotional wave. It's same, so interesting. Same. Could I, get I on human design for hours. I know it fascinates me so much. And uh-huh. I, you know, I'm learning little by little, trying not to try not to skip ahead of everybody else the way I'm meant to. Uh, but I do kind of do that a little bit. But I'm okay. So I have, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Fantastic. I have favorite questions in my mind constantly. There's a couple of them, like they live there, like, ooh, when it, like, and I have, I also like, I love it when I have a brand new thought and I, my mind notices like, ooh, you've never thought about that before. It feels like a little party in my head. Do you have favorite questions? Hmm. You want me to give you mine that I noodle yeah, on? Yeah, tell me yours. Okay, so mine are kind of, and this has been about for the last two or three years, what are dead people up to? <laughs> like, I, are there teams? Are there like team cloud and team green? And like, could I be on both of those teams? Like, what? Like, there's a whole lot more dead people than there are alive people. So they're up to something. And I, I'm just really curious about that. Um, I'm also curious about how does one bend time? And physics people want to answer that question. And I think I'm less interested in the answer than I am in the question. So sometimes people will like 
changing the nature of time by a productivity hack or something like that. And I think that's like bending time. So I'm really curious about that idea of bending time. Anyway, these questions just live inside me all the time. Do you have I any? That. I don't think I do. Um, I, I mean, I have topics that I like to talk about, but nothing as interesting as those questions. <laughs> well, do you, let me ask you a different way then. Do okay. you um, see, right? Yeah. Yes. Because the, the tendency is to think, the tendency is to like, wow, I'm doing something wrong. Like, I'm not very interesting. Well, then I'll ask you this, like, do, are there certain things that you feel curious about? Oh gosh, so many things, like everything. Yeah. Things well, you're up. a podcast host, so you must be curious about one of the things. Like, I think the best thing in the world is a question. Right. There's a book called A More Beautiful Question, which I haven't loved, but I just love that there's a book out there called that. Yeah, A More Beautiful so, Question. I love and so that. If, I think if you figure out, like, you know, you know how much fun it is to go to a beach and look for shelves. I feel like this could be a beach walk. It's like to think about things that I'm curious about. Like, what are you curious about? People who are listening to this, what lights you up? What do you, and you don't have to talk about it with anybody. I don't really talk about the dead people thing with too many people because sure. weird, but. What, no, I love the question though. It's kind of like a. I'm going to be smooth, thinking about it. It's kind of like a smooth stone in your pocket where you're like, hmm, oh. Yes. Oh my gosh, Bryn, I have really enjoyed talking to you again. I loved our last conversation as well. And I've been looking forward to this. Thank you so much for being here today. My uh, pleasure. Would you like to tell people where they can find you online? Find my stuff at mindsparkbranding.com. If you've always had a TED talk on your bucket list, I've got a couple of really sweet little freebies for you. There's two, so find them both. And if you want to make an idea stronger, check out that. You'll find that all on mindsparkbranding.com. If you feel compelled to book a time and talk to me about what you want to do next in your world, I'm, I'm really curious about what you're curious about. So um, thank you for spending some time with me. Yes, thank you. I, I appreciate this so much. And I look forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Bryn has such a unique mind, and I have enjoyed getting to know her so much. I was fascinated with the idea of giving a TEDx talk, and I learned a lot about the process the first time we spoke. Discovering that TEDx staff are all volunteers was one of the most interesting. I'm not surprised she is so good at helping people craft their talks. I'm so captivated by her enthusiasm for language and her obsession with questions. If you weren't already wondering what dead people are doing, you're going to be thinking about it now. Reading the about page on Bryn's website is just a small peek into her brilliance with language, and it's pretty wonderful. I can't wait for another opportunity to chat with her. It's always an eye-opening experience. If you'd like to see for yourself, I highly recommend you consider booking a coffee chat with her to discuss your business. This podcast is also available on YouTube. There were a few moments that I didn't think about at the time of recording where Bryn was gesturing and making faces that you just can't appreciate through audio. She's extremely expressive, and if there is a conversation worth watching, this is definitely it. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Hook. I hope you feel a little more connected knowing that you are not alone. Everyone has faced hardship in their life and career, and by hearing what someone else has been through, 
you'll have another tool in your kit next time the universe throws a wrench your way. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at I am Sarah Larson. That's Sarah with an H, Larson with an E. If you'd like to be part of my community, you can subscribe to my newsletter to be notified of new episodes, get business advice and recommendations, and be the first to know when I have something new to share. All social media and website links are in the show notes. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with friends so more people can benefit from these conversations. If you feel inclined to leave a five-star review, I would be very grateful. Reviews and subscribers feed the algorithms and mean that more people will discover this podcast. Thank you, friends. See you next time.